we're talking about you and your good news that has changed our hearts and is changing our hearts. And so would you enable me to be clear and let it be edifying to these people that you love so much. Thank you for rejoicing over us with loud singing. That you're singing a song over us right now. All right, let's kind of kind of walk through the the POM. All right, um, let me just kind of I, I want to just kind of introduce you to the tree. This isn't the only. This is probably my favorite graphic uh, for the POM. Can everybody see it? Can y'all? Can everybody see it? Am I in the way? Can y'all all see the? Can you see the tree? You can't see the tree. Let me get down. Does it help? Can you see the tree now? Awesome. Okay, I'm gonna stand over here so everybody can see the tree. Can I stand right here so it won't, and it won't feedback if I'm here, will it? No. Okay, awesome. <laughs> okay, that was good. All right. Um, so, a tree. God loves trees. It's, think about this, y'all. It starts with a tree and it ends with a tree. The Bible's kind of a book about trees. In fact, when, when God... Um, when Jesus describes growth of someone's spiritual growth, it's, it's vegetation. It's tree stuff. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Which means that growth is gradual and inevitable. I just think it's really important that we start seeing people, just before we even just unpack that, as being trees, which allows us to give it, gives us a lot of patience with people, realize they also need to be nourished, cultivated, encouraged, um, and to be rooted. So I just want to walk through this first piece right there at the, uh, on the ground. It says scripture. So it's, it's a little confusing because it has scripture here, scripture here, and it has biblical world and life view. There's like scripture everywhere. One of the reasons scripture is everywhere is because we're reformed evangelical Protestants. Okay? And we have a, we, we have a very, very high view of scripture, and rightfully so. Um, the soil of Scripture says everything we do comes from the Word, revealed. The soil nourishes the tree and enables it to grow strong and bear fruit. Similarly, similarly can't even say that word, Scripture is our foundation, Psalm 1. We are servants of the Word. All that we think, feel, say, and do must flow out of obedience to God's Word. And so... You know, what is the POM? It is not some secret, you know, that we found in a cave somewhere. It's not something that somebody cooked up. It's, it's, it's a biblical articulation of what ministry actually looks like. That's what it is. It's a biblical articulation of what ministry looks like. Now, you see the roots of the tree. Um, the roots of the tree grow down into the soil, in the soil. They are rarely seen but they determine how, how the tree will grow. So our presuppositions flow out of Scripture. They affect how we minister. But they themselves are not our focus. And I'll explain what that, what that means and what those presuppositions are um, in just a minute. Those are the roots. So you're right, those are the things that are assumed beliefs that, we are, that are already true and we already believe them before we ever do ministry. So those are the things that tether us, anchor us, root us in God's truth, from God's truth, that affects how we go about doing our ministry. It's presuppositions. The principles, the trunk of the tree. Um, is really, really basic. The principles, scripture, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There's the trunk of the tree. And when you think about the trunk of the tree, what do you... You know, what is that? What's the significance of a trunk of a tree? Yeah. It's like the main 
the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. So even when we do teach about other things, we're even teaching about those things through the lens of Scripture. Scripture, justification, sanctification, glorification, it's another way of saying, I believe, saying the gospel. Jesus Christ, Scripture is Christ revealed, his life, death, resurrection, ultimate return, is the story of Scripture. Um, doctrine of justification is an act whereby God declares us righteous. Sanctification is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit whereby he's making us look more like Christ, dying unto sin and living unto, living unto Christ. And the glorification is where everything's sort of headed, both us individually at death, you know, what does it mean to be glorified, but ultimately, Revelation 21, 22 stuff, the renewal of all things. And so that is the, those are the meat of what we teach. That is the emphasis of what we're teaching. And why, why do you think that is? The, why, why, why are the principles, why do, we, why, did, why do you think they... Why do you think they spelled them out this way? Why is that important? When we think about ministry to students. Okay, order. Yeah, okay, yes. That's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. What else? That's great. These are both great. This is how people are transformed. Like we, we, we quoted Romans 1, the, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is what changes people. And the gospel being fed by our presuppositions, the gospel, the scripture, justification, sanctification, glorification, it's like shorthand way of saying this is how God produces fruit. God produces fruit by the application of the gospel through the grid of the, pre, uh, of the presuppositions or from the rootedness of the presuppositions where Christians are growing in grace. What does growing in grace mean? We're going we're gonna to flesh each one of these out. What is growing in grace? What does it mean to grow in grace? Well, we're not perfect people, so <laughs> there's always going to be that moment when we have to say, oh, we're not going to always do it the right way, but God is the one that helps us find Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growth and grace, evangelism and, mission, evangelism and missions. Um, so people, a Christian is growing to some degree, maybe just little bitty kumquats, right? You know, in some stages of their life, little bitty fruit. In evangelism and mission, they, they have a heart for evangelism and a heart for the lost. Uh, a growing Christian is someone who is growing in their love for fellowship and service. Like they're part of a community and they want to serve people. They're growing in their biblical world and life view, which, which is one of the things that someone said about, you know, cultural issues. You know, how do we think biblically? Um, how do we have a kingdom outlook on things like sex, power, and money? Um, those are all areas we're growing. Now, the worth of the tree is determined by its fruit. You will know a tree by its fruit, right? When ministry produces only one fruit, the tree is lopsided and ruined. The gospel has been truncated. But the fruit of the gospel is diverse and abundant. Growth and grace, evangelism, mission, fellowship and service, yada, yada, yada. Now, here we are tacking on the Holy Spirit again, Michael. Uh, this is a little better than the tail, tail of the cat, kite. Uh, no, matter how, no matter the goodness of the soil, the depth of the roots, or the strength of the trunk, without rain, the tree will die. Similarly, the Holy Spirit rains his work down upon biblical ministry and gives life, causing the tree to grow and bear fruit. That is a pictorial, one of the ways to um, describe the, um, the, um, the philosophy of ministry. Um, see, it's not mysterious. Okay, so I just want to, I, like, I needed someone to say that to me. Because I'd gone to seminary and read all these books, and I felt stupid the very first time someone put that up there. So I was like, oh my gosh. So like, it, so let's just walk through each piece. How's that sound? Does that sound cool? Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot. I'm going to spend mostly uh, presuppositions. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, 
presupp- by, by the way, presuppositions are my fave. Um, there's something like poetic about the presuppositions that I really like. Okay, presupposition. Presupposition is a deeply held belief that shapes how you do something. A presupposition, and every human being has presuppositions, right? Presuppositions are deeply held beliefs that shape how we do something. So I'll give you an example. When you're watching a certain news outlet, right? Pick your poison. Uh, CNN, Fox, whatever. They are... They are speaking from presuppositions. And so why does the news sound totally different, right, uh, on one channel and completely different on the other channel? It's because they have a different set of presuppositions about reality, about the world, about what's right, about what's wrong. And so when they're presenting it to you, also, they want to make a lot of money because they want you to tune in. I understand that. But just for the sake of our argument here, presuppositions inform how you communicate, inform how you see something. And they are, they are tacit and implicit. They're buried. That's why they're so powerful. They're down there in the dirt. They actually make you kind of who you are and what you do. Um, and so here's the very first one. The very first deeply held belief or assumed belief that we already, that shapes our ministry ethos and our practice and how we do things is that we believe God is at work. So the very first root of this tree is, hey, you, God's at work. Cheer up, God's at work. And the reason we say that that is uh, a presupposition is because now you're, you're living, believing, or learning to believe like that's true before you ever go to the to the cafeteria at the high school. God is at work. God is at work accomplishing his purpose in this world. He cannot be thwarted by anyone or anything in the accomplishment of that purpose. He will not be. We know how the story ends. Even though it looks outrageous and crazy sometimes, and it looks like we're going to lose, he doesn't lose. He wins. Jesus wins. Because God is at work, the church is progressing through the process of evangelism and and edification of preaching the gospel. God is working through the Holy Spirit and the preaching and teaching of his word. God is at work no matter how things appear to us, and there is a real spiritual battle occurring in which we are carrying out warfare against spirits and principalities that are greater than us, that the ruler of the power of the air. So all of these things are happening, and... Jesus Christ is going to make all things new. God is at work. This is my, this is like, I love this one so much because it's so basic. He will complete his mission. That's a presupposition. He will complete his mission. So think about how important that is. He's going to complete his mission. So the first thing that I think the presupposition of God being at work is that it affects the manner of our ministry because it gives us hope in God. He's working now. I mean, y'all, I'm, I'm guessing, no, I'm not guessing, I'm knowing. There have been some really discouraging times in the past year, especially with COVID and stuff. Really, some really dark days. Maybe that you're going like, I want to go do something else. <laughs> I was like, wow. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at your ministry and going like, I'm the worst minister in the history of the church. I'm the most ineffective, moronic, I don't know what I'm doing. You ever feel like that? You feel like, what in the world? I care so about this. It was so gross when I realized that I cared a lot about what a 19-year-old thought about me. It was so gross, but I had to admit it. Like, 
why did that, why did I just get snubbed by a 19 year old and why did I hurt my feelings so bad? Like, why, like, I was really, like, in a bad mood when I went home about it just because I'm really upset about this. And I'm just thinking about, like, what a moron I could be and how sensitive I could be. God's at work with this sensitive moron. Presupposition. So it gives hope in God. It gives hope for self and ministry. If, if God redeems me and saves me, he can use me. He can use my strengths. He can overcome my weaknesses and my sins. I am not an accident. I am not a barrier to his work. He brings more glory to himself with the fact that he uses such weak vessels as us. And by the way, all of that stuff is all from Jeremy Jones, um, the R.E.F. Yoda. He brings more glory to himself with the fact that he uses such weak vessels as us. That's 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. So, like, we're able to kind of, oh, yeah, I am broken, I am weak, but, like, let's wait a minute. This is how he likes to work. Why? This is our presupposition. God's at work. So, like, we can kind of get over ourselves a little bit. Oh, yeah. And God's at work. You don't know how he's at work a lot of times. You know, being in ministry after a while, you start realizing, like, people will come to you and say, like, hey, you remember when you gave that talk or you did that devotional or had that conversation with me and you thought that student was totally checked out and then they come back 12, you know, 12 years later and they're converted? You know, you get to, God gives you a little peek. God's at work. We're just bringing the gospel, showing up in people's lives. God's at work in ways that you and I can't ever see. That's why we just show up because God's at work. So it gives hope for all our life. We are not accidents. Everything is part of this story somehow. Every situation, person, event, conversation is part of the story. It fills us with devotion and passion. It drives us to pray and hope for this work that we know he's going to accomplish. Like, Lord, you're going to accomplish your work. Would you accomplish this work through this ministry with me? And I give you the results. They're up to you, but I know that you want this more than I do. God's at work, presupposition. And it also, this presupposition can also enable you to rest and relax. Like God's still at work when you take a day off. It, it, it can also, it's really helped me not take myself or my failures or my successes too seriously. You ever time, have you ever had a time in ministry where you felt like you crushed it, right? You ever felt like that? Like this is, I need to take notes on myself right now. Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever felt like, and that's so arrogant, I've never done that, but you just really feel like you're, and like, and, and, and then, but then, but then nothing, like nothing. You don't see anything. You're like, what, I can't even assess myself correctly. Like, I, you know, and then you have something where you feel like you've been pulling a Volkswagen up a hill, you know? Like, no one's listening, you haven't made any sense, and people are, like, crying and being converted and running in the aisles and stuff like that, right? It's because God's at work. I cannot stress this presupposition enough. God's at work right now with you here. He's at work in the lives of your students right now, and you're here. This can give so much hope. Okay. Second presupposition. The second presupposition, and is there a picture... Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. The second presupposition is a reformed understanding of the Bible or reformed theology. So we, we don't apologize for being reformed. But I want you to notice something. This is really important. It's under the ground. Why is reformed theology not on the, on the, the trunk of the tree? It's interesting. Why is it reformed theology not a principle? We love Reformed theology. Let someone answer that question. I would love to hear y'all reprocess this. Reformed theology, which we believe is a faithful and biblical expression of what the Bible teaches, the theological tradition, our teaching, our preaching, our avenues of ministry, our openly and self-conscious, we're, we're, we're Reformed people. But why do we not, like, make that a principle? Yes. Yes. What might happen if you make it a principle? 
yeah, it's a missile. Now, like, do we see justification, sanctification, scripture, and glorification through the lens of Reformed theology? Of course. But we're not trying to get people to ask Calvin into their heart. <laughs> that we're not, that's, that, that may be one of the ministry. That's not RYM, and it's not RUF. We believe that a faithful, clear articulation of Reformed theology is, is what builds us and shapes what we see as being Christocentric, as being an expression of grace, a, a right understanding of human anthropology, right? What humans are, what makes a person. We've, all those things are really, really faithful. Not, maybe not perfect, but faithful to Scripture. But you quickly create some mean little suckers uh, if you make it your principle. And they start are having fights over predestination in the lunchroom. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, do we teach predestination? Absolutely. We teach it through the lens of the gospel. Okay. I always have to say that because I've been a part of some weird reform stuff. And when I first was exposed to reform theology, I was insufferable. I mean, I just really was. Everyone else was an idiot. No one else was going to heaven. I was like, I don't know if they're reformed. Everyone was suspect. <laughs> because the system is tight. It is a very tight system. But when it becomes an end in itself, like, it, it, it becomes monstrous. So I, I harp on that. I'll move on. But um, we sh- and, and saying that we, we believe in Reformed theology, like when I say Reformed theology, what, do, what, does that sa- what does that mean to you? So presupposition of Reformed theology, what does that mean? What are, what are some things that that includes? Yes. Yeah. Monergistic work of the Spirit. Yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah, sinful, sinful, totally depraved, yeah. Not utterly depraved, totally depraved. That means we're broken in all of our ways, right? Mind, heart, emotion, will. What else? Yeah. You know, and that's, ex- that's refreshing for you to say that because you all look and say, we don't ever talk about the Holy Spirit, but Calvin was known as a theologian of the Holy Spirit, Right? a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. We probably need to beef it up a little bit in that area. Yeah. The Trinity. I heard a guy say, um, this Daryl Johnson, theologian, I think he's at Regent, and this one, he said when people ask him, what's his camp? He said, are you Reformed? Are you da 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 He says, I'm a Christocentric Trinitarian. And I was like, that's awesome. I think, I think that's another way of saying reformed, right? Yeah, what else? Reform, when you say reformed theology, what does that mean? When you say it's a presupposition of reformed theology, what else is that? How do you see that? Like a sovereignty of God, like we just need his help to do anything. Yeah, God, and that's where we go. God's at work, right? God, we need, God has to work. God, we, he you know, people are spiritually dead, and we can't make them come back alive, right? Yeah. So Reformed theology informs, it flavors your ministry. It informs the way you teach. It informs the emphasis that you put on Scripture and the emphasis that we put on the doctrines of grace. We love grace. And I, I may add, since I'm an old person now, I think I can have this privilege it is so f- strange to me how arrogant and mean people, like Reformed, grace-centered people can be sometimes. Isn't it outrageous? How dare we be such smug jerks when we believe that all is grace? Good gravy, people. So, I mean, before we move on to the next one, I think it's also important, this is one of the strengths of Reformed theology are the Heidelberg Catechism. It's very rich. One of the strengths of that is the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism. Those are great ways of expressing what we believe. And so that's part of our heritage of being confessional, um, having creeds and statements and those things. Those can be very, very helpful to give students a really a, a good grounding in sound doctrine. But grounding in sound doctrine is a grounding in Jesus, right? in that sound doctrine. And so we're creating these Christians. So I think Reformed theology used correctly is profoundly powerful. Um, Number three, 
We live and minister in God's church. This is kind of what Michael was touching on. This is a presupposition. So we, the institutional church, is God's chosen instrument for achieving his redemptive purposes in the world. The church is God, we believe, is God's instrument for achieving his redemptive purposes in the world. So it doesn't mean that we don't think God can also work through, quote, parachurch ministries. We understand that. That's, that's, that's awesome and so great. But our philosophy of ministry, the way we believe that it is the church as the herald of the gospel. The church is the community, the visible church, the community where people are brought into this fellowship. They are given the means of grace, the Lord's Supper, baptism. They are taught scripture. They are rooted in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And then that's how they grow from cradle to grave, which includes youth ministry. We believe it is God, God loves the church. Um, this is really, I think, one of the reasons this presupposition is important is because of how easy it is for me to be cynical about the church. To where it's like, okay, I'm still committed to the church. The church is our presupposition. The church is our assumed belief. This is what directs and guides what we, what we do and how we do things. And, and this is what God has chosen. And because, y'all, I mean, it is not hard <laughs> to be cynical about the church. And, and rightfully so. And, some, and sometimes it's really, there's been a lot of hurt done uh, by the church. And so I'm not belittling that in any way, shape, or form. I know exactly what that is. I've, done, I've been hurt, and I've done hurting in the church. Um. The local church is or is ordinary is the ordinary context for Christian life. I love that quote. The local church is the ordinary context for Christian life. This is what we're to saturate students with. So that's a big emphasis in what we do in RUF. You're doing it from the actual from the position of the context of the local church. But we really want people to love the church. We're teaching our children, are teaching our students to, to realize, to value being a lone, lone church. The way that they live out their ordinary Christian life is through the context of the local church. This does not mean that we saturate or brainwash our students with polity minutia uh, or some subset of Presbyterian tradition. Um, but it does mean that we give them a biblical understanding of what the church is and a love, and pray that they would grow in their love for the church. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so something that I'm kind of grappling with at, at my church is this kind of culture of what I call churchianity that basically boils down to, well, you just have like a nominal kind of belief in God, don't be a jerk, understand that you know being involved in church is a presupposition but at the same time um, kind of take it as a possible tangent yeah that, you know sometimes we can get so you know locked into I don't know I gotta go to the Wednesday night thing <laughs> in itself yeah like busyness church busyness so this morning and we're all members of church we're all members of a church this morning i do this every tuesday morning i have a group of five men and we pray together and talk about our lives and i leave feeling really filled up and I know that I can open up to them about anything that's going on in my life, and they'll pray for me. That's what we're striving for. In the midst of that is this beautiful thing, in the midst of all the brokenness and the Wednesday night stupidness, stupidity, right? And all of the things that we're doing, the, the church, which is local, these guys are local, these are my friends, um, um, is the local expression of what it feels like to be friends with Jesus. 
I think that's what we're aiming for. So what we're to, we're to I'm, I'm not remotely interested in getting my students fired up about churchianity. But yes, giving them a vision for a life lived in authentic, beautiful, messy community with people, that's what we're about. That's the presupposition. And yes, that also includes, yeah, there's the institutional piece. There's, it's an organism and an organization. I just talked about the organism part. There's the organization, right? It takes both. And so we're living with this. I mean, y'all, I can't tell you how many students have come up to me and talked about how the church has hurt them and talked about how disappointed they are in the church. And it's just, right, it's like how many times you just look at it and the church is just like just doing something stupid again, you know, all those things. And so I've developed a, an illustration that I use frequently. And I say, imagine the gospel and off, like Jesus Christ and the gospel principles being the best song that was ever written. Like the best song of all time. And that each version of Christianity that's ever gone down through history, including churches, are cover songs of the best song ever written. So it's like the best song, and we're always, but they're all, and some songs are so, some cover songs are so bad, they're cults, right? <laughs> they no longer even sound like the song anymore. It's a different key, right? But don't confuse the cover song for the song. And so giving them a differ differentiation, to helping them see that, is that a lot of times people think they're rejecting Christ when actually what they're rejecting is a cultural manifestation of Christianity, which is always going to be, it's going to be as disappointed as I am. It's just because we're in it. So there's this piece of this that's really, really messy, but I do think it's important that we have presupposition of a church, but then also give them this different vision of saying, hey, yeah, we got to keep going back to what this is really, truly about and what really transforms us. Every single day, we got to go back to the original song and realize that we're coming up with bad cover versions right? That's, that helps me, and I think it's helped some of my students kind of go like, all right, I've got to understand that both those things, right? Yeah, and they're like, oh, this is terrible. This is the worst. And this is so lame, and I was like, yeah, 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 but like Jesus isn't, but like he's pleased to be with us bozos, right? Good. That's a great question. So we got, God is at work. He works through our theological, like he wor we believe that God's at work and he speaks through a biblical, under a reformed understanding of the Bible. He works through the church, right? He works through the church as we apply a, a reformed biblical understanding of the Bible. And then we are attentive. Another presupposition is an, an, an attention to the individual. The individual. We deal with people as unique individuals. Imago Dei. A person is very complex. What this produces is a loving, relational, flexible, person variable methodology. All that's Jeremy stuff. Person variable methodology, including myself, because everyone's different. This is something that I think that's very unique to RYM and to RUF. Is having a presupposition of the person I'm seeing right here, right now, is precious to God. Because this, this person, regardless of who they are or how marred by sin and brokenness they are, is made in the image of God and is precious. And their story is precious. And so the ability to like really focus on that one student really matters. Um, this presupposition helps me be present with, with Emma in my ministry. Emma was raised in a secular Jewish, very successful home. And um, has just had a horrible last semester and has a couple of Christian friends that have brought her to RUF a couple times, and she's just so hungry 
for, the, for, for God, for hope. And so I'm seeing God work in her life. And so my job is just to sit with her, hold space for her, listen to her story, and become curious about what God's doing in her life and send her Bible verses. But I'm not going to treat Emma the exact same way or think that she needs the exact same things the same way at the same time as another student who maybe is like walk with the Lord their, their entire life. So it allows us to realize that God's at work in different individuals in the church, through the ministry of the church and through Reformed theology, to actually sit and be present with this unique person at this time. That person, and I'm convinced this is so Jesus stuff, that if you go through the Gospels, when, when a human being was standing in front of Jesus, they were the most important person in the cosmos. I think people felt so seen by Jesus that's one of the reasons they killed him. Because they didn't know what to do with that. People felt so heard. And so our value of an individual is really getting right at the heart of the ministry of Jesus. Like, this really does, it's not individualism, but it really keeps your ministry from being um, anonymous where you just have big groups of people and people just kind of sit out there you really want every you want everyone to be known and valued now you can't do that but this is why you train your other students to go reach out to other people you have trained your leaders we have other people because we want every the individual matters and so we need to train and equip people to go after all the individuals because you can't right we want every individual our goal is to have every everyone there feel like they're a part of it and feel like they're known Right? That's the value of an individual. God will work through his word. Um, and this also applies really to us, too, as individuals. Like, what makes you, you? Your story. Your trauma. Um, your hurts. Your dreams. Learn to pay attention, as Kurt Thompson said, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Because what you're actually paying attention to is shaping your life. Paying attention to old, paying attention to your past. Thinking about you as an individual enables you to love other individuals. God loving you as an individual. And also understanding like your gifts and your, your weaknesses. Um, like I said, I was telling someone out there, he said like, how can you, how do you like, teach and preach so much, or like, do how do you do these things, you get worn out, blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. And I said, like, yeah, and no, I've realized, I'm realizing that I can only be Richie. And that's great. So for a long time, like, I've got to compare myself to this guy, I've got to compare myself to this guy. But the value of the individual means that, like, no, 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 God loves you, man. Like, you. He doesn't want you to be like someone else. Not compare so it really, the value of an individual and seeing it as a presupposition keeps you from like this comparison thing that we all do and just like frees you up to be you, be more comfortable in your own skin. That's often a missed part of the POM is we talk about the individual, but the POM was originally, when we talked about the presupposition for the individual, it was for you as much as it was for them. The individual. Um, Think about how, like, just before we go to the next one, how having a presupposition of it being attentive to the individual, how that would shape your methods and your strategies. We don't force people into an assembly line of programs or like a one-size-fits-all one version of discipleship. Like, I remember when someone gave me this discipleship continuum like, here's this, this is the thing, and it, like, it made, I honestly got nauseous. Because, like, here's what it means. You go do, and I understand, like, there's growth, and it can be a helpful model, but, like, it's almost like a, it almost looked like the guy was, like, on a conveyor belt. You get converted, and then you do the next thing, and you do the next thing, and I was like, oh, great, we're just, like, these weird Christian machines. Ugh. But, like, how is God working in, like, there's this, it, it affects the way we do ministry. Y'all, this, attentive, being attentive to the individual 
I think really affects the vibe of your ministry. Can really affect like the way it feels. If if over time, if a culture of a valuing, of really caring and being attentive to individuals, over two, three, four years, you can just feel that kind of place. Right? Okay. I tell my students, I tell my interns, when they're meeting with someone, nerd out on their story. The best, I think best ministry people are people who really are really interested on why that person likes that video game that much. What in the world is up with that? What? What? Like, uh, really, really, like, listening to, like, the things that make them tick, that's all individual stuff. Really, what fires your students up? Okay. Pedagogical. So we have, God is at work, reform theology, church, individual, and the learning process. So the learning process. We have a certain understanding of the learning process, including what learning is, its implications for the nature of what it means to be a, a, a Christian, the elements of the process, how it's implemented, the implication of these things for the operation of our ministry, the roles of those involved in it. Um, we should not be satisfied in ministry, when we think about teaching, with just head knowledge. Or the ability to verbally articulate certain concepts. That's important. The content is very important. But what we want to see is a transformation. What we hope to do, and this is what the Spirit, Spirit's got to reign. You remember seeing that? The Spirit's got to reign. That content would go down. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing about the learning process. It allows us to have a long view approach. So think about how that affects your ministry. So you're showing up. You're being faithful to the principles. You're being faithful to the gospel, to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, right? You're showing up. You're applying the gospel to real-life examples, large groups, small groups, and one-on-ones, which are the avenues of ministry. And then this is what it really, I think what it means to be reformed, is then you're going like, all right, God, you're going to have, you got to make change happen. And so it frees you from kind of like being anxious or being a jerk or raging on your students because they're not getting it. Like, you just, sh- th- what we do is that we're feasting on the gospel and then we're making the gospel clear to other people. And then we're saying God's at work in these people's lives, the way we're articulating it, albeit very imperfectly, but God loves to do it this way. And then we say, all right, then we're f- we really are freed. Our job is to expose people to the gospel. And to bring the gospel to them. But you cannot make it work in their life. So the learning process is like this long-term approach. And realizing this is part of some person's... And then sometimes you'll see someone converted, you'll think you're the best minister ever. You just think you're crushing it. Right? Like, oh my gosh. But the problem is, that person was exposed to the gospel like 60,000 times by this one youth minister... And they come to your church and they're like, oh my gosh, I get it. And they're like, yeah, I'm, 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 real, I'm gifted. I'm gifted. <laughs> but the learning process, whether it be conversion or whether it be growth and grace, it allows you to have a long view approach when we think about sanctification and people being transformed, that we come alongside people and we're really, really happy with our own incremental growth, gradual and inevitable growth, when we see people being transformed. It's a learning process. It also means the learning process also applies to the way that we go about our ministry with our co-leaders. So what that means is there are people, maybe under you, that are uh, learning how to do ministry. Maybe you have interns or you have assistant youth people. What we do in RUF, and we do this RYM too, is it's called T-B-O-E-E. We teach someone, okay, they want to learn how to have a a one-on-one with somebody. You teach, you demonstrate, however that looks like, you demonstrate what it's like to have a one-on-one with someone, you observe them doing it, you evaluate, and you encourage. And the way Mark Lowry apparently used to say it is you encourage, you encourage, you encourage. You teach, you demonstrate, you observe, 
You evaluate, you encourage, you encourage, you encourage. That's how the learning process works, especially when, you're, when you have other people under you. I think that's really, really helpful. Um, and that we're all, we're all in the learning process. Well, Jesus said something in Matthew 11 where he said, you know, I'm going to preach on this tonight, but I'm not going to preach right now. So, but he said, take my yoke upon you, uh, upon you and learn from me. What do you think he's saying there? He's just, he's not saying like, take my yoke upon you and get it for crying out loud. Like, take my yoke upon you and be learning, learn from me. So you know what that implies? Jesus knows you're in process. You're learning from Jesus. You're learning. You're, we're all in the process of learning all these things that you become a student to, uh, a pupil to Jesus. You haven't arrived. You're just learning these things. That to me, those are the best teachers to me, are the ones who are students. Who are still fascinated, they get to learn things and explore things. Those are the ones you drink in. You become a student. You, you see yourself as also part of the learning process. I think your students will listen to you more. A posture of learning. All right. Demographics. This is cool. When are we, when are we done in here, Michael? Beautiful. We got. We can do this. Demographics. Okay, demographics is just where you are and where your context is, your, where your audience is. So it's a presupposition. So who your people are, what they're into, what they're like, that greatly affects the decisions that you make for your, for your so like the scale, scheduling of a special fellowship event on a weekend you know, where there's like on a Friday night where like everyone goes to high school game, it's probably not a good plan because your demographic, everybody goes to football game, right? You may have a demographic where like no one plays football, they're all into like other things and Friday night would be amazing. But like really thinking about your context or like, you know, it's very, very practical like thinking about what would actually work or be successful when you're playing a large group event. Also, like what do your people need to hear? What someone needs to hear over at this place is what someone needs to hear over at this place. And one of the ways that you figure that out is by doing really good work with individuals. Like, what are their idols? What are the things that make them tick? What are the things? So you're listening to them, you're understanding that you become a student. I mean, that's exactly what Paul did when he went to Athens. He looked around and just saw all these idols, and he's like, I think I'm going to talk about this. This is probably, this checks out. Uh, so, like, you, you begin to study the place, and the more that you're with the place, you, you un begin to understand your demographic. Um, and then the final one is the fam. Um, the family, the family. So, Michael, I'm going to let you take this one. You got this one better than me. What does the presupposition of the family mean? Because we don't have to do, this is actually not a presupposition in RUF. Um, it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean the family, it just means I don't really have a lot of interactions with parents, which, <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That was a joke, tacky. Don't start luring them away. Yeah, right. Now, I will say, um, Definitely listen to, there's a couple of great seminars that you'll get audio links to. Joey Stewart has a really long one on covenant theology and family, and he has some good stuff to say. I shrunk it down and attempted to do it. I don't even, well, anyway, it's there. Uh, the, the family piece is huge, and some of the stuff, this little peek behind the window, um, Les Newsom coming back onto the board and Richie's involvement, and uh, we're aware more so and more so, and are doing some work to try to do some translation and adjustment of some of the language that ends up on our di diagrams and the way we teach because um, to help this more come out more so you can see it more. I mean, the family, there's certain things about youth ministry in the local church that, like Richie was saying, like it, 
principally can translate literally to any ministry, but there's some unique things that are really powerful. The family aspect as a presupposition at the base level is like, and when I look at all of these presuppositions, the same question can be asked. Like, what would your ministry look like if you didn't have kind of a, an, IO, a, an operating system aspect of the family is important, the family is fundamental, the family is crucial to see your ministry through the reality of the of family as a reality, just like Reformed theology, all that kind of stuff. Because if, you, if the family is not important or in your filter, all you care about are individual students. I've got to get Jilly, Jilly, Jimmy, somehow Jilly came out. Uh, <clears throat> got to get Jimmy saved, you know. Uh, I want him to know, you know, that Jesus loves him. Um, Jilly could be a cool name. Um, to me, it looks like a dachshund in my head. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. But uh, anyway, so, but knowing that there's a family involved and knowing that the kids, before they even come to you in ministry, again, we're, it's like, okay, Jilly, let's learn about Jilly's family. Like, wh- where is she coming from? Um, single, uh, single parent, both parents are there. Uh, are her, their parents Christians? Are their parents not Christians? Um, uh, what's their what's their world like? Um, you know, and we want to as a presupposition. It's about knowing that the students are coming out of the context of a family. Um, that everything you're doing, as you get to know them, the individual, you're learning about their family. It's both frightening uh, and freeing. It's frightening as a parent because you're like, oh yeah, the guys hanging out with my kids are learning that I'm a fraud. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, Seriously, um, but it's, it's very frightening when your kids get older or whatever, but it's also very powerful um, because I believe in all the other good things. <coughs> so uh, as a presupposition, it's just remembering. You, you can't just say, you know, youth ministry is not just about the kids. It's you're always having the reality of the family in the background, knowing who the family is, where they're coming from. Um, some of y'all have, you know, kids that are involved in your youth ministry and the parents aren't involved in your church at all. Uh, and that creates a new segment of, of challenges. But it doesn't mean you just write them off as the enemy and blah, 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 blah. Nor does it mean you have to have a separate program, you know, that marches seven times around that family's house until the walls crumble and they come into the kingdom or whatever. You know, it's like, silliness to make the point. It's like we have to see them, know them, love them, and understand that is what God's doing. God in his providence created, you know, uh, the family as this kind of essential building block, not just of the church, but of just humanity. And, we, and kids are formed in their family. So it's that stopping slowing down and thinking through if i'm remembering that the family is a key piece of my ministry and kind of the root area it's it's feeding the ministry it's providing content and thought and all that kind of context and it's part of your demographic and stuff it's like god cares about the family he wants you know he wants the family to be a mom and a dad uh, i'm talking about family with kids in specific um there's a whole other conversation we could have about how the scripture might be talking more about households than family. And we know that America in the West has idolized the nuclear family and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, um, we're thinking about family as a context of youth ministry here, right? Uh, just seeing that God will and can work powerfully um, to raise the next generation in the context of the family. Um, and we want to celebrate where that's happening. Um, you know, I listen to people share stories about their growing up um, and how they came up to, fa- you know, how they, how they got from, you know, how they grew up, you know, and you meet them as adults, and, 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 I'm, and we all have different stories, and I used to be really jealous of the guys. I never knew a day that I didn't know Jesus as my Savior, and my mom and dad were both Christians, and I just felt love and freedom, you know, and, uh, and I used to feel real jealous of that, you know, because I kind of grew up in a dumpster fire, and I love my parents, but like, and I, they had awful parents. It was just, you know, we're, we're broken people, right? Um, and God was faithful, but I did, I can look back on my story and learn about all the different ways where God was faithful in my life when I wasn't going to church, and my parents weren't going to church, all that kind of stuff. So God formed me through others, and I was being formed, and uh, I can look back on that. So all this to say, God does want to work and is at work in the family. You need to be thinking about as you reach out to Jilly or whoever, um, do I know their parents? Do I know what their family context is like? Do I know what they're going home to every day? Because it will help you understand them better. But we do want to be a family-affirming ministry. Uh, another very practical way that as th- if the family is a presupposition for you, it will free you up to not be a hyperactive ministry and having, you know, 17 events, you know, every week. These are, they, they have jobs, they have, they're busy already. Um, you can say, look, we're going to provide things to be a part of a holistic kind of year-to-year s- slow-paced ministry. As Richie was saying, we could slow down. We can have specific things for s- specific purposes. But when I use the term family-friendly, and some of my core values over the years, it wasn't the kind of family-friendly 
you know, that you hear that means that everything you do in your youth ministry has to involve the family, which again, there's a place for that. It was just remembering that these families are stretched thin. Um, you know, they got a lot going on. Um, so remembering that is just a simple way of, of when you're planning something, you, you can't expect a family to arrange their world to get their kid to your event if the first thing you've heard about it was like a week before. Um, you can do spontaneous things, but just know that some people can't come. Free them up to not come. Um, you know, they need communication. They need understanding. They need, you need to realize my group has a ton of um, multi-families with lots of kids, you know. That's going to affect the way when I begin to flesh stuff out because it's in my, it's in my frame of mind. Uh, I'll probably stop there, maybe ask some, answer, feel, feel some questions because there's some theological things there that since I wasn't necessarily uh, outlined and ready to roll, um, I would just ramble and that wouldn't be good. Um, any questions about the specific kind of thoughts on the family as a presupposition, as a part of the root system that informs what we're doing? Any questions about that? Oh, yeah, or anything. Yeah. Any questions about anything? I'm here for you. Michael, the answer guy. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, they're in your church, but their kids aren't coming to youth group stuff because they've kind of got their, whether it's sports or academics or just their own kind of thing going on. I hear you. Um, be okay with that and not panic. Um, I, I, I do first thing, you know, I, I had numerous families over the years in different churches where you would see that family at church every Sunday, um, you know, in the pews. And then they would come to, never came to Sunday school. They would maybe come to a, a weekend thing or a fun event there, but like I knew them. So I think first thing is to know them. Um, as a youth pastor, make sure that the kids and that family know that you know who they are. Um, this is where you're giving them a call here and there or making sure you get a, a you know, postcards are so awesome. Like a lot of people don't know what they are, but become a postcard machine. I have a stack of them. Give them pre-stamped. Just whenever you think of Jilly, you know. Saw you at church today. Hope you're doing awesome. You know, uh, you know, you can home make your own postcards or you smash your face on the whatever. Anyway, let them know you see them and know them. You know, uh, just love to see you. You know, but in a way that you have to be cautious, not make you feel guilty. Parents as well. Those parents, just reaching out, giving them a call. Hey, especially if you're new. A challenge was given to me at my second church that I was terrified by, but it, bec it became something that I've encouraged everyone else to do when they're first. Uh, when you first arrive at a church, take the list of everyone on the roll in your church that has kids from youth ministry age and then the, and then the three grades below it uh, and call all of them and introduce yourself. Um, and then I'm here to serve you and your family and I hope to help you guys love Jesus, blah, 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 blah. And you get a lot of voicemails. People don't use the phone anymore, but numerous, I'm so glad you called me. Like no one's ever done that before. And I'm like, you know, anyway, but that's just a way just loving, let them know you see them, making sure they're getting the communications in a way, again, that's not, you know, they're getting the general communications, being patient. There could be ways that you're able to bring your ministry to them, uh, suggesting resources, making sure they know. This is where the hard work of youth ministry comes in. We need to be communicating what we're teaching. Do the hard work of producing a summary. If it's not a semester summary or a series summary, but put together something that kids can take home or they'll get via email that just says, this is the main point that we talked about this weekend. Here's a couple of questions you guys could talk about at home. Again, lots of ideas we could talk about, but being known and letting them know they're known is helpful. Um, trying to find a way. They may be averse to all this, but if you initiate, it's on them to respond. You know, if you initiate, hey, I'd love to take you to, you know, let's grab lunch. Joe, don't you work at the Emerson building over there? Do y'all get, do you, do you go to lunch? No, I can't do that. Well, what about breakfast? You know, can we get coffee? I'd love to get to know you and your family. You know, you're just initiating, you're pastoring them, you're loving them. And if they're like, no, I can't do that, it's like, okay, it's okay, appreciate it. Maybe we'll try it another time. Make a note six months later, three months later, try it again. So that's probably, the, without going into a bunch of like hyper ideas, it's just remember that they're in your church. You don't need to panic that they're not coming. But you could, since you've been there for a while and you know them, you could, you, and when you, when you get to know them and feel known, you could ask, is there something I'm doing that is you're resistant to or that we're doing or something that, that you don't like? Because I've had families say they didn't like sending their kids to the youth ministry because um, we would play secular music during intro and outro type stuff. You know, it wasn't always Christian music, and he was very nervous for his daughters, you know, to be exposed to that, you know, and I could easily get on my soapbox and just, nah, it's stupid. They listen, they know the songs anyways. I've heard them sing along, you know, but I wanted to love him and affirm what he was going for there, and I got that, but we got to know each other, and, you know, he ended up coming on a summer conference, and then 
uh, I mean, on a weekend uh, retreat, and became a you know volunteer force a little bit, and just we learned each other better. He was they ended up leaving and going to a different church, and that was okay. Um, but we built a relationship that understood each other and was very helpful. Um, so I think the key piece is just knowing them, understanding them, because there's a lot of assuming going on, um, both by parents who are sending their kids to stuff, assuming they know what's going on. But if Susie, if Jilly comes home happy, you know that we must have a great youth ministry. But it might be that you know Jilly just likes a boy there if Jilly is a girl. Um, well, nowadays can't even say that. But I digress. That's a whole other conversation. Moving on. I'll stop. Is that remotely helpful? I mean, it's generic, but it's general. But I think that is we often skip that step, and we and we try to try to get them there. Less about getting them there, and more about I think finding a way to make sure we know each other better and go from there. We sometimes default to like an academic school model in our teaching aspect of our ministries. And please don't do that. Um, uh, what you see is happening in your schools. Kids are being turned and led just being stress machines. And the, our system that we've set up as a culture to raise them up to be successful is actually destroying them. Um, we can speak into that um, and we can be a part of that. So do not default to only always talking at them. They've got to come at, like everything you're doing, think about how can I, even in a Sunday school class, like for me, large group, whether it was 10 men people in the room or 50 people in the room, you know, I would say that was where I wanted to teach the Bible, so to speak. Yeah. I didn't sermon my kids, at least until I learned. Well, anyway, you know, you're not preaching sermons in your Sunday school class with your kids, okay? If you're a sermonizer, that's okay, I'm not hating on you, but like remember it needs to be engaging, you know, okay? Like think about how can you teach a principle? How can you articulate both in that class to demonstrate it, the TDOE, but also just in your life on life with those people. How are you fleshing out the things you're teaching? How, uh, how can you demonstrate it? How can you give them an opportunity to observe them fleshing out some of that stuff? Sometimes you just watch them at their sports or watch them at their thing, and so you can see them fleshing out the gospel and their relationship. Sometimes you find out about stuff after the fact. Um, about a student that did something that was so cool, and you can then affirm it and say, well, I see you doing that, encourage them on it. Um, you know, so I think that, yes, bottom line is, think about a very holistic view of how you're teaching. It needs to be embodied. You need to get them thinking, you know, think, pair, share, you know, say something. All right, think about that for a second. Now, pair up with your neighbor. Talk about it. What do you think about it? It's sometimes awkward because they aren't necessarily doing that in their school settings a lot, but giving them freedom to slow down with your teaching. It's so off often sometimes we think, I have to have a three-point alliterated Sunday school class that goes for 40 minutes. It's like, you know, if you've got 45 minutes on your schedule, you know, Slow down, one truth principle, give yourself 25 minutes. I don't know, I'm not trying to say dumb it down, but give them a chance to lean into it, to leave with questions. Be a part of the longer, the longer, slower path. Um, you know, we want to sometimes cram in, you know, an entire book of Romans in a semester, and you, you really want to get every verse. I'm like, mm. um, you know, it's okay. You're not like being unfaithful. You're not being a non-expositional teacher if you don't hit every verse in the book of Romans in one semester, right? I just lost my job. RYM fails. No. Um, no, I'm just saying slow, it's the slow down piece, I think, is what we can apply there. That Where TDOEE makes the most sense, slow down, put something in front of them, walk with them. Um, that's both as you teach, small group opportunities. You're remembering that some are going to get it, run full speed ahead. Some, they're going to be, you're going to find out when, that later in life that you thought the kid who never listened to anything, you're going to get a call. This happened to me once. Um, from a kid who's like, I just wanted you to know, um, he was in his late 20s, I just w became a deacon at my church. <laughs> I was like, quietly laughed in my heart for a little bit. I was like, poor church. And then, but then, I, you know, <laughs> this kid was just hard for his entire youth ministry experience. But then I slowed down and I was just like, this is super cool. Um, it was late bloomer, if you will. If not, I don't know. But all that's to say, God is at work. He's doing it. It's just slow and steady. Um, we do want to see fruit. We do have to be at work. We got to work the soil. We want to put truth in front of them. We have to teach content, but just again, slowing down, flushing it out, giving them a chance to ask questions. Don't. It's okay if they leave with more questions than they came with. Um, that's okay because we're at work. We're we're a steady part. Um, just like uh, 
uh, Andy said last night, each of our teaching times and hangouts is a, is, a, is a single line in that little journal that over time just kind of, it measures up. You're, you're forming them in that way. God is forming them. Pray us out. Father, thank you for a great morning together. Thank you for a chance to uh, ourselves slow down and reflect on, on ministry and the many facets to it. Um, uh, it's it, that we often forget to do and just slow down and ask ourselves, why am I doing the things I'm doing? What is uh, uh, steering my, my energy in, in ministry? Is it, is it more of a tangent or is it really trying to bring kids before the gospel of Jesus, bring people to Jesus and, and, and through the scriptures? Father, help us to, to, to continue to reflect on these things and think through things um, uh, using this lens. Thank you that nothing that we've put up before these folks is, is kind of newfangled. Uh, it's, it's, it's old. It's been proven. You have used your people for centuries thinking about things similar to this, and we just thank you for that. Thank you for a chance now to, uh, to, to check out, have some food, have some fellowship, have some rest, and uh, I do pray you would bless this time of, of breaking for a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen.